Welcome to the E-Success Method Podcast with Jacob and Aaron, your weekly dose of tips and tricks to achieve excellent performance in your business and career. Join us as we explore deeper into the practical world of Lean, Six Sigma, project management, and design thinking. In this episode number 190C, we continue with stage three of the audio release of A Business Carol. To get the full commercial free release for free, fill out the form at esuccess-methods.com slash book releases or email me, Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, at esuccess-methods.com. For now, please enjoy stave three. If you like this episode, be sure to click the like link in the show notes. It's easy. Just tap our logo, click, and you're done. Tap, click, done. Here we go. Stave three, understanding the crisis. I'd barely fallen asleep when I was abruptly woken by a car alarm. Could no one else hear that damn thing? I pulled the puller over my head and I was still muttering when I thought I heard a strange laughter in the room. Now what? Peeked from beneath my pillow. A stranger was standing there, of course. What else did I expect? He was a distinguished old man, and he was moving slowly toward me. Not again. I sat up in bed with a huff. Blue eyes sparkled from behind his dark-rimmed glasses as he greeted me with a beaming smile. Wait, didn't I know that face from somewhere? Dr. Deming? I see there's no need to introduce myself. Wow, I know you. I was pulling the covers off to rise. Or at least, I've read a lot of your work. Finally, a hallucination that shows promise. I extended my hand. It's so nice to meet you. Likewise. And with a firm handshake, he continued. There is much for us to do. We have little time to do it. I was still in my sweats. Just let me change. He held firm to my hand. There's no time and no need for that. And at that, we were tumbling through space until we landed on a balcony in the grand ballroom of the Waldorf Astoria Hotel in New York City. As I looked around, the room was filled to capacity with guests in business attire. A man spoke at the podium on the stage at the front of the room. A table with a veiled object stood to his right. I looked expectantly at Mr. Deming. He smiled and, as if reading my mind, August 12th? 1981. Mr. Estridge up there is announcing the IBM personal computer. You might be more familiar with it as the IBM 5150. It can be had for the meager price of $1,565. Just two decades ago, an IBM computer required a quarter acre of air-conditioned space and sold for no less of $9 million. In this day, the average business, even an average person, can now use a more powerful computer and it will fit right there in his or her desk. Mr. Deming finished just after the speaker finished. I turned my attention back to the front of the room in time to watch the official unveiling of the IBM 5150. It was an unassuming, boxy-looking thing, with an equally boxing-looking CRT monitor on top. A wave of conversation rippled through the room as the people craned their necks and applauded. Out of the corner of my eye, I noticed Mr. Deming clapping. So I also clapped. But I couldn't help looking over at Mr. Deming. He leaned my way. Confused? Yes. He took my hand, and in an instant, we were in another room that was much quieter than the ballroom. It was empty of people, but filled with tables not yet set for any event. He led me to a table and bid me to sit. Never before has such a double-edged sword been unleashed on society. Double-edged sword? How can you say that? The computer has completely changed society for the better. On the whole, I would agree with you. 
But it is also, he considered his words more carefully. Rather, let me say more correctly, the use of it has come at a price. What price? Computers ushered in databases filled with data that could be crunched into every statistic imaginable. Those statistics were elevated by boorish mathematical techniques to the realm of the gods where spreadsheets were to be obeyed and followed without question. My jaw dropped. How can you say that? You yourself are a god among statisticians and even business managers. How can you disparage the most valuable tool in our arsenal? He smiled at me and poked his finger hard into the side of my skull. This... He poked again, this time even harder. This is your most valuable tool. Managers have surrendered the art of management to the naive calculations contrived by short-sighted minions to justify near-term profits at the expense of long-term sustainability. Ow! That hurts! I couldn't help trying to rub the pain from the side of my head. It should hurt, he huffed and crossed his arms. I spent years trying to communicate the importance of a systemic view of business, explaining how business must understand themselves as a part of the larger environment, how good people are important to good products, how leadership is responsible for... He waved his arms out to his sides in exasperation. Well, leading. His fist fell hard on the table, causing me to jump. I... This hallucination was not turning well. I don't understand. How often do you hear the word system when it isn't attached to some latest fad pitched by a huckster? How often do you hear board members talk about the environmental or social footprint of their corporations? When was the last time that a CEO plowed many a company right into the dirt and still walked away with millions? He huffed and shook his head. And if you ask them why, why did you drive your company into bankruptcy? Or... How could you not see that you were on thin ice? They'd point to week after week, month after month, of hobbled together statistics that supported what they wanted to do and told them nothing about what they needed to do. I sat there considering his statements. Before I could muster a question, he reached forward saying, Here, I'll show you. We were suddenly standing in the middle of a tiny graveyard surrounded on three sides by massive buildings and backed by the other side by railroad tracks. Where are we? Old Town, Michigan. He let go of my arm to straighten his coat. Or, more specifically, what is left of Old Town, Michigan, this graveyard. He pointed at the large buildings. There stands what they call the GM Detham facility, built on 456 acres of land, land taken from the owners by the government through the powers of eminent domain so that it could be handed over to GM Corporation. Think of that. 4,200 families forced from their homes, schools, churches, and businesses demolished, actions forced on the citizens against the will of many of those same citizens on the promise of 6,000 jobs from GM. Those buildings don't look heavily used. The parking lot is nearly empty. <laughs> They're not, Deming let out a loud harumph. Although he didn't start the eminent domain action, Roger Smith took the reins of GM in the year that the residents of Poltown lost their last court battles and were forced off their land. Smith promised a factory that would be a technology showcase and revive a struggling GM. Instead, by its opening in 1986, it was widely panned as a disaster. Not only did it not live up to the technology showcase title, it replicated existing factories and wasn't even flexible enough to shift between manufacturing different models. 
The buildings were plagued with so many strange and unexplainable problems that workers began to claim that they were cursed by the unhappy souls of the people buried in this very cemetery. My eyes fell to the headstones that surrounded me. I've been rolling about time and space with all these dead folks, talking to my long-deceased grandfather, and only just now did the dead suddenly feel sinister. Pay attention, Anwar. Sorry. I looked at him and tried to push from my mind the number of departed souls that might be gathered around listening, just beyond the range of my mortal senses. As if reading my thoughts, he said, Don't worry. They won't bother you. Then he looked around and over my shoulder. Will you? Immediately, I looked behind me, around me, and back to him. I'm sure my sense of dread showed on my face. He doubled over slightly with laughter. Oh, dear me. You are a gullible one. Well, how am I supposed to know? Don't worry. I've brought many here before you, and the local... He looked around slyly. Um, community, shall we say? Haven't bothered any of them. Then he looked over my shoulder again. Have you? I caught myself just as I began to turn and look behind again. I tried to grin in appreciation for his joke. At least, I hoped it was a joke. So let me continue with my brief history of Mr. Smith's tenure. He was a long-term GMer, and certainly had no desire to ruin the company, but he took the reins and drove it hard like a drunken sailor through the slop of a hurricane-swamped port town. Instead of focusing on finding and producing products that the customers wanted, he went on a massive buying spree. He spent billions and over fists, acquiring outside companies in a blind attempt to cure internal ills. But that's become the American way, hasn't it? Consumerism as a band-aid over gaping voids that never get fixed. It's sad when individuals or families travel that path, but downright disastrous when companies run blindly down the same alley with no real understanding of how their internals work or how those acquired companies will fit in. For all his time at GM, Mr. Smith still didn't truly understand how GM worked as a system. Yet, without that understanding to guide him, he stuck his hand in the mix and began to stir. At one point, for a period of 18 months, the entire company was so vexed and confused that it accomplished next to nothing. Marginal products became even more bland. Maintenance and repairs became more complex and trying to figure out what departments supported what vehicles. I could swear that I saw a glassiness come over Mr. Deming's eyes. His voice softened. Bless his heart, but Mr. Smith was in over his head and looking to the outside for the solutions that were always right within his grasp. He never took advantage of a staff who wanted to produce good, reliable products that the public would clamor to buy. They had one of the first fully electric vehicles in the EV1. And they had customers who wanted to buy them. But instead of bringing in innovators to bring the EV-1 to its full commercial potential, the EV-1 was left to flounder in a twilight of not quite ready for prime time. After only a decade of leadership, Mr. Smith handed back the reins on a company, frothing with sweat, fully spent, and at the brink of bankruptcy. And in his wake were thousands of displaced and disillusioned workers. I was awestruck by Deming's passion and compassion but my mind formed no words to express how I felt. He reached out for my hand. Come now, there's still more to see. And we were suddenly in a large office space filled with cubicles. There was a low hum of conversations. People popped from one cube to another. I looked at Mr. Deming. Where are we now? This is a workplace in India. What am I to learn here? 
He that hath no ears, let him hear. You will learn what you are open to learning. Only you can control that. Suddenly fearing that I'd offended Mr. Deming. Oh, I'm open to learning, especially from the master himself. I'm just a bit confused. Well, let's look around then, shall we? You are listening to E6S Methods Podcast, brought to you by E6S Industries. Join us on our website at www.e6s-methods.com. Journey through success. Are you applying for professional certification in your field? You'll be happy to learn that all this time you've been streaming Jacob and me into your ears. You've also been earning continuing education units, or CEUs, which can be applied toward most professional certifications. You can do your research, all the math, and figure out which episodes are applicable for which discipline, or you can save yourself the time and hassle and just order a CEU report from us. All you need to do is provide us with which episodes you've listened to, and we'll provide you with a portfolio including details about each episode and a certificate of recognition with a CEU breakdown by competency, including leadership, tactics and tools, strategy deployment, and principles and philosophies. So if you have certification on the mind, start here and save some time. Just go to e6s-methods.com slash CEU to order yours. He began to walk down the aisle. I followed closely behind. He asked over his shoulder, What do you see? I see people working hard. Correct. Is their work any less valuable than the work of their U.S. counterparts? Um, I don't think so. Correct. Yet many U.S. citizens bitterly begrudge these people their employment. Well, I guess I can understand that. Why? Why would you begrudge that the U.S. executives have initiated their own demise and are not even fully aware of it? What do you mean? It's the frontline workers who have lost their jobs, not the executives. Those frontline workers have and will continue to develop creative solutions and innovative new products to expand the global ecosystem of products and services that we will all enjoy. They've banded together, driven the rise of the new economies, and new crowdfunding approaches, even a new global electronic currency called bitcoins. They're keenly focused on developing and providing what the people want and delivering in a way that the people want it delivered. They'll do just fine in the long run, if the government stays out of their way. I still don't understand how the executives will lose their jobs. In the past, there was a social compact in which workers gave their employees loyalty and, in return, those employers gave the workers security. Then corporations unilaterally walked away from that bargain for the sake of the short-term profits. They outsourced their frontline producers to other countries offering the lowest bid. Gutted of their technical staff, they were left with salespeople who had little understanding of what they were selling and managers with no intimate knowledge of what they were managing. Worse, customer support was peeled out into phone trees that rang at the desk of operators who knew nothing about the products beyond what their automated decision tree software describes. It now takes days, if not weeks, to resolve even simple problems. It continued. Compare that to offshore companies, now adept at global competition and without overhead of the U.S.-based executives or their palatial office suites, where the U.S. company underbid and sometimes killed their U.S. competitors through outsourcing. The offshore companies can now underbid those U.S. companies to their very own U.S. clients, clients who are now quite comfortable with offshore services. Do you think that would really happen? Would happen? No. It is already happening. Yes, over the last decade, a major U.S. IT services vendor has shed nearly its entire U.S.-based technical staff 
in favor of low-cost offshoring processing centers. Its goal was to create the short-term effect of increased profits for its shareholder reports. It traded heavily on its reputation for continued sales, while its customer support faltered badly. Well, now that there are no more profits to be had from outsourcing, and as each of its contracts comes up for renewal, eager Indian companies port those clients with better trained staff who are eager to provide the quality service that the clients want and need. One by one, the complacent U.S. Goliath is watching its large clients walk away hand-in-hand with smaller, more eager, and more agile Indian vendors. How long will Goliath continue to pay managers once there is nothing left to manage? He winks knowingly. And how many of those new, small, and lean startups will have need for executives who are only skilled at pushing reports around? So what's the solution for the U.S. workers? Deming stopped and thought for a minute. First, a return to basics. Provide quality service and quality products for a fair price. Do you know that a study of large U.S. IT projects in 2010, projects with an initial price tag of $15 million or more, found that at least half of them ran 45% over budget, or 7% behind schedule, and delivered only 56% of the promised functionality. One large retailer started a $1.4 billion project to modernize its IT infrastructure, and the project fell so far behind that it was abandoned. Still in need of a modern infrastructure, the retailer started a new project for only $600 million. When that project failed, it declared bankruptcy. Those numbers stunned me. How can that be? How was that acceptable? It shouldn't be acceptable under any conditions. But both the vendor and the clients are at fault for the fact that those conditions exist. How is it the customer's fault? Clearly, the customer didn't understand its own need. And there is no blame to be laid for that. But the customer failed to engage an appropriate professional to do the analysis, determining what its needs really were, to help craft contracts that ensure that those needs were addressed, and to help it manage those contracts to ensure the vendor was providing appropriate deliverables. Too often, the customer floats a general idea about a vague need out there, like trawling fresh bait in shark-infested waters. Then, it contracts with either the lowest bidder or the bidder who fielded the friendliest sales guy. But doesn't the vendor bear any responsibility? Of course it does. The vendor also failed to take the time required to understand the customer's true needs. But if you slap a chunk of fresh bait in the water, how angry can you be at the shark that's willing to jump up and take your hand off along with it? That vendor may eventually pay in reputation costs, but when a customer's company is bankrupted, who's going to heed its advice? Somehow that doesn't seem fair. Isn't that like blaming the victim? It's precisely blaming the victim, as you call him. But we're not talking about a personal assault against an incessant person walking down the street. We're talking about accountability and corporations making multi-million dollar business arrangements. And the root of the problem is that the customer didn't take the time to understand its needs in the context of its ecosystem, so they failed to ensure that these needs were met. If you walk onto a car lot and say, I'll just take the cheapest transportation available, and they sell you a moped on the corner of the lot, is it their fault when you show up with your suit ruined and your hair sopping wet at the first rainstorm? I, I suppose you're right. 
It was a lot to take in. But you said first? Yes. Second. And finally, innovate, innovate, innovate. Man, by his very nature, is a seeking creature, continually grousing, consciously or unconsciously, about his lot in life. There is an unlimited number of problems to be solved, from the practical to the whimsical. Find the pains and the complaints that you care about, and spend your life resolving them. Build teams of people who care about the same pains and same complaints, and solve them together. Choose to be personally accountable for a solution. Ask yourself, what more can I do? Ask your team, what more can they do? Collaborate using the wisdom of the team, the wisdom of the community, the wisdom of the environment. Find purpose that leads success for everyone involved, including the community and the environment. There's nothing stronger and no knife surer to cut away the chaff than a strongly held and adamantly shared purpose. People striving toward a common purpose lift each other up and challenge each other to greater heights than they could have ever reached alone. That common quest is the zest of life that that carries a company through the lean years, holds them on the true path in the good years. It's the basis of the trust that allows the team members to speak freely and test out even the strangest ideas. That trust allows team members the room to try and fail, the resources to break new trails, and even the time to sit quiet in the corner to recharge their batteries. High-priced, technical prima donnas are rarely worth their cost. But a team member who passionately shares your vision, is valuable beyond measure. Deming's passion had returned, and it made me smile. Well, that's certainly an easier idea for me to get on board with. I'm glad you approve. He reached for my hand. I think it's time we return to our Michigan friends. They've invited us to dinner. Before I could pull away, he had hold of my hand. But I'm not sure I... And suddenly we were in my room with Deming having a hearty laugh at my expense. That wasn't fair. I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. He tried to control himself, but another snicker escaped. My, but you are a gullible one. Well, hopefully I'm a little bit less gullible after our time together. Never resist trusting the right people. It's a rare virtue to be able to let go and accept the wisdom of others without regard to their station in life. If you want to know how to best dig a ditch and exactly how long it will take, ask a ditch digger. If you want to know how long it takes to gestate a baby, ask a mother. He started chuckling to himself, (laughs) because goodness knows if you ask a project manager, he's likely to think he can hire nine women and produce a baby in one month. (laughs) Okay, I was now laughing with him. I have to admit that I have met project managers like that. Exactly. He straightened and smoothed his jacket. But most important of all, business should be an exciting challenge. When you've lost the calling to get up each morning and rush back to your challenges, that's the time to find a new occupation. Life is just too short to spend it in misery. Agreed. And with that, I shall bid you good night and pleasant dreams. And he was gone, leaving me standing alone, and I'll admit a little bit lonely in my bedroom. His visit had energized me, and I could have picked his brain for weeks without end. Thanks for listening to episode 190C. Be sure to get your free copy of A Business Carol and share it with a friend. Break the bread and spread it around. Stay tuned for episode 190D for Stave 4. Jacob and I are working on an entire new catalog of episodes for 2018. If there's anything in particular you'd like to learn more about, 
Now is the time to let us know. Just email me, Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, at e6s-methods.com. Until then, have a great holiday and continue to enjoy the rest of 2017. Cheers.